All righty. Good morning, Ridge Point Church. We're really glad you're here this morning. On your way on, on your way, and you should have gotten one of these. If you didn't get a, kind of a note sheet for this morning, if you would just raise your hand, and guest services will make sure you. Good job. Looks like they did. Oh, there's one. Sorry, there's one per. Oh, there's a couple over here as well. Uh, I thought guest services would us 100. percent That would have been awesome. Listen, I'm not normally a big notes person in church. There's a couple of reasons. First of all, there's a lot more than just the actual content. There's stories and there's emotion and all that stuff. So sometimes we're so focused on notes, we miss the other stuff that's happening in the service. So I'm not a big notes person for that reason. But the second reason is, and maybe it was just me, but I think a lot of people can identify. But if you've ever had notes like this, maybe you're in school and a teacher gives you notes. And you start to read ahead and try to figure out what the blanks are way ahead. Does anybody else do that or is it just, yeah, everybody else does that. I know, I know. And, and then what happens inevitably is you're trying to think ahead and try to fill in the blanks ahead. And then the teacher or the preacher gives you the current note that he's on and you miss that. And then you're constantly looking over at your neighbor saying, what was the last one I missed that? Yeah, because you're looking ahead three points. So normally I'm not a big notes person in church, but today's a really big deal. Uh, we're kicking off... Uh, something this morning, really every year as we begin the school year, even for church, it's kind of a, a fresh start at church, it's kind of the beginning of, of our year. We have a lot of stuff that's happening. And so today we're talking about this, and, and coming up this Friday is, is the Blunt Hell Barbecue. Listen, we need some volunteers. This is a big event. There's a lot that's going on. If you want to volunteer for that this coming Friday, we have that that's happening. And then next week, we get a chance to hear from our mission team that just traveled down to Honduras. Uh, they're going to share some stories about their trip, about what God did, and, and the way we were able to serve down there. You're really excited about next year and what's going to happen. But I want to share one story as we begin this morning about that trip. This was our fourth time as a church going down to Honduras. It was the third time that I had a chance to go down. And there's always new and fresh experiences. And most of the time you have those fresh experiences, those new experiences, they're really good experiences. But I had one that I hope to never have again this past time down there. You see, the second day we were working there, we were there Saturday to Saturday, but the second day we were actually working on the job site was a Tuesday. And, and that day it was kind of overcast. So at some point during the day, I took off the sunglasses I had been wearing, which had been a great eye protector for the first part of the day. But I took off the sunglasses, we were doing some work. I actually wasn't cutting wood or anything like that. But, but we were putting a, a board on, the final board on this wall. And, and my buddy Clayton was up at the top and he was doing some work on the roof and some sawdust fell down and I was looking up trying to look at this board and the sawdust fell down and hit me right in the eye. Now if you've worked around lumber before doing this type of stuff, sometimes it hits and it kind of you blink and it comes out right away. It wasn't like that. This hurt more than any of my eyes ever hurt before. Like right away I, it was, I was trying to blink my eye. I could barely open my eye. It was getting more and more painful and, and eventually like the team had me laying on the ground trying to pour water in my eye and I said I can't even open my eye to get water in it. It wasn't tearing up like nothing was helping. So the lady who kind of helped organize the trip, she said, well, I can call because the school we are working, that's called Afe. Afe has a clinic at the school. We could take you to the clinic at the school, and they can flush your eye out. I said, that sounds like a great idea. So she calls, and she says, yeah, they're going to come. They're going to pick you up and take you to the clinic. Well, right after that, just it wasn't planned, but Pastor Joni, who's the pastor who heads up Afe and the church and the seminary we were staying at, he shows up. He says, J.J., I heard what happened. Do you want me to take you to the clinic? I said, yeah, that'd be great. So we leave, we're kind of in the mountains, we kind of go up this mountain road, we get to the road, the main road where we turn right to go to Afe, and Pastor Joni starts to turn left, and I'm kind of like, I'm covering my eye up, I can't see real well, but I'm like, I know he just turned left, and we're supposed to turn right, and he said, oh, JJ, I forgot to tell you, Afe doesn't have anything for eyes, so I'm taking you to a walk-in clinic in Honduras, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not so sure, maybe you just go back to the room, and, and I'll put... Uh, 
compress on my eye and I'll, I'll be fine. It's okay, Pastor Johnny. He said, no, this is, a, a re- it's, it's one of the best clinics in our area. It's a Christian clinic. You're going to love it. I found out the whole time he was lying to me. I, seriously, the next day he said, JD, he came. He's like, JD, I am so sorry. I had never been there before. <laughs> and, he said, and then he said this. He's like, I'm sorry, they were not Christian. <laughs> but it, it wasn't that bad. But, but we pull up to the clinic, and I've never been to Honduras clinic before. So I'm kind of like, um, I just want this eye to stop thriving, thrive, throbbing. All stuff. So okay, whatever has to happen. So we go into the clinic, and first the, they take me back, and the nurse takes all my vitals, and then she sends me back, and, and then I'm waiting for the doctor, and then the doctor calls me. And it's not like an American uh, clinic or, or doctor's office. The doctor sat behind a desk, and he just sits around this desk asking you questions. And filling out his form, very clinical, very, very detailed. And he's talking to Pastor Joni because he doesn't speak English, and I don't speak Spanish very well. And so he's asking Pastor Joni, who's translating for me. And at some point, he and Pastor Joni just start to have a conversation about my health. <laughs> I'm like, I want to know what's going on here. And Pastor Joni turns and he says, uh, he says you need to go to the emergency room. I'm like, for sawdust in my eye? Like, that seems kind of extreme. Like, I know I'm the American. They want to make sure he's taken care of. But, but, but I said, okay, here's my plan right now. I mean, in my mind, I'm like, okay. In my mind, in, out, out loud, I'm saying, okay. But in my mind, I'm saying, once we get out of this clinic, we're just going to the hotel room. We're done. So we leave, and I'm thinking, when I get in the car, I'll talk to Pastor Joni. I didn't know that the emergency room was in the same clinic. And so literally, we leave this door, which is the second room I'm in now. We walk by the nurse's station, walk to another door. <clears throat> I get into the emergency room, and the same doctor walks around another set of doors and meets me there. <laughs> I'm like, I can't see very well, but I know what you're doing. So, so he comes over, and he, he says, he comes, he looks in my eye. He has like this LED flashlight to look in my eye, and he looks, and he says, there's nothing in there but it's really inflamed, so I have to give him some medicine. I mean, he's convinced there's nothing in there. So he comes over with a syringe full of medicine, and he starts to just kind of spray it in my eye, and it stings. My eye starts watering, but as soon as it happens, I feel whatever was in there get dislodged and come out. Like, I feel, I'm like, man, my eye like that felt better. Like, I'm, I'm like, I can see for the first time, my eye doesn't hurt. And so I try to tell Pastor Joni, hey, enough, it's good. And he says, no, he has another syringe full of medicine. He has to give it to you. And so he starts spraying this other one in, and he sprays it. And I said, okay, really, I can see my eyes staying open. It feels really good now. Like, I can feel whatever it was was gone. And Pastor Joni translates it, and the doctor says, no, it's just that the medicine is really strong, so it's numbing his eye. We still need to do what we're doing. He says, so here's the plan. He puts some eye drops in my eye, and then he says, we need to see him again tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. But before he leaves, we need to give him two injections. I'm like, wait a minute, we're talking about sawdust. What are you talking about? Injections. And so we get down because we can't do the injections in the emergency room, evidently. So, so, so we get down and we leave. On the way out, he gives Pastor Joni all these prescriptions. I had four different pills I was supposed to take throughout the night, plus eye drops we had to go pick up from another pharmacy because there's a pharmacy in the clinic. And so we go to the pharmacy, and Pastor Joni goes up there, and he starts getting these bags full. I mean, it literally just Ziploc baggies full of medicine. <laughs> and he starts handing these to me, and, and, and he handed them to Pastor Joni, and Pastor Joni's taking care of that. And the nurse walks out, and she kind of points to the first one we started this whole adventure in. And she points to the room, so I go walking in, the nurse goes walking in behind me, and she shuts the door. And Pastor Joni's no longer with us. And I thought, if there's any point in this day that I need an interpreter, now would be that moment. I'm like, what do you mean Pastor Joni's not with us? So I walk over, and, and she has these two needles, and she's ready to go. I don't know what it is. Like, I still don't know what it was. 
but, but so I just, I get ready, and I start like, all right, let's, let's just go. So I sit down, I kind of pull up my sleeve, getting ready, and she says no, and she points to the table. And I'm like, I, I'm, I'm good, like, I'm, I'm, okay, if you want to go to the table, I'll go to the table. So I start to go to the table to sit, to kind of sit down, and she says no. <laughs> and instantly I became aware why Pastor Joni had not followed me into the room. So I'm like, okay. So I go down, and I kind of, as discreetly as I can, you know, undo the pain and all that stuff. And then she gives me an injection in one cheek, and she kind of, it's, it's a lot of medicine. So she has to, like, hit it and rub it in. <laughs> and then, like, like, she does the other one, hits it, rubs it. I'm like, is there, like, do I have to tip you for that? I'm like, I don't know what's going on right now. It's kind of, this is kind of weird for me. And so she, she like, she's like, okay, you're done. I'm like, where's Pastor Joni for this whole thing? So I walk out, and he's laughing at me as I walk out. Pastor Joni, I'm going to get you back for this one. <laughs> so fortunately, I, I talked to Pastor Joni. I said, so do I really have to go back and do this all over again tomorrow? And his, his, his daughter is actually a, a medical student, and he talked to his daughter. I said, no, that was way too much. That's when he said, they're not Christian. I don't know what they're doing. So we didn't go back the next day. But, but here's why I tell that story, and this is so important. Because we come back to the, we were saying at a seminary, they had some rooms there, we were saying at the seminary, and there's actually one of the guys that was on our team that wasn't from Ridgepoint that was sick that day, and so he and I are kind of nursing each other back to health, and we're sitting there kind of waiting for the team to come back. And the team comes back from, from that trip, and when they come back from, that, from, from the day's work that day, I felt badly that I wasn't with them, and they come in, and, and the first thing they do is want to check to make sure that I'm okay. And the second thing, they're like, wait a minute, you got shots? What happened? <laughs> and they want to hear the whole story, and they spent the next probably 20 minutes laughing at me for what happened. <laughs> Sympathy. But here's why I tell that story. We are all wired for community. And when we have community, it allows us to celebrate at the high moments. It allows us to laugh with each other. And ultimately, in seasons of grief, it allows us to cry for each other. Today, we're going to talk about this idea of community, and every one of us is wired for community. Every one of us. Now, I know some of you might say, well, I know people that are a lot better at building relationships than I am. They're people that are just natural. And maybe if that's your story, you think, whenever I get in a social setting, it can be socially awkward. I feel like, like I don't know the right thing to say, and, and it, it can be awkward when I first get to know someone, having those conversations. I'm just socially awkward. That's probably 75% of us. That's okay. That doesn't mean you're not wired for relationships. Because every one of us is wired for relationships. Every one of us is wired for community. In your notes, it says this. You can do life, and there's some blanks. You can do life without community. But you won't be nearly as healthy nor as effective. You can do life without community. You can choose right now to do life and say, listen, I've been hurt in the past, and because I've been hurt in the past, I put up a wall when it comes to relationships. I don't allow there to be vulnerability because I know I trusted people in the past, and I had this relationship, and I thought it was supposed to work, and it didn't work, or I had this friend, and I thought we were going to be tight forever, and it didn't work out. And so because of that, I put up this wall of vulnerability, and I don't let anybody pass that wall. You can do life without community, but you won't be nearly as healthy, nor will you be as effective. You see, I've known people that I knew in high school. In high school, they had a lot of friends. But at some point, because of past hurts and pains, they said, that's it. I'm blocking myself off. I'm not going to have relationships like that. Like, I'll have some casual friendships, but I'm not going to trust people. I'm not going to have people that I really do life with. Because sometimes when I do that, that hurts because people hurt me. And if we're honest, sometimes we hurt people. But what happens is they isolate themselves further and further from friends, from community, And at some point, way down the line, they think they're being safe, but they're actually doing themselves a disservice because they become physically unhealthy 
they become mentally unhealthy, and they become spiritually unhealthy. And I've seen even family members that I was close with who isolate themselves, and eventually their physical ailments start to become more excessive, their mental health starts to become an issue, and spiritually they become bankrupt. So when we, wire our, when we separate ourselves and isolate ourselves from community, we become unhealthy, but we also become ineffective. We have a mission as a church. But it's not just the church's mission, meaning the building. We are the church, which means that you and I, we have a mission. And our mission is not numbers, our mission is people. And if we're not willing to build up community in our life, if we're not really willing to invest in people and allow people to invest in us, then we become ineffective in that mission. So how do we conquer that? We have Sunday morning, we gather together to worship and to celebrate, but we also have groups. Flipping your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, if not, the words will appear up on the screen in just a second. But the book of Acts is, is literally the history of the early church. It's what the early church was doing. Jesus says, at this point, at the beginning of Acts, he sends into heaven and he says, this is the mission of the church. And so a lot of what we try to do as a church in a contemporary setting is we try to go back and say, okay, what was so dynamic about the early church? And there's this passage over in Acts chapter 5, verse 42, when it talks about what the church was doing. And it says, and every day... In the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. The message that we have is the same today. The message is that Christ is Jesus. What we do as a church is to proclaim that message, Christ is Jesus. But on top of that, at the very beginning, it says every day they meet in the temple. They meet together for corporate worship like this. But it says they also meet together from house to house. They're meeting in people's homes. One of the things we do, part of the mission of, of Ridgepoint Church is to say we value Sunday mornings. We put a lot of time, energy, and effort into Sunday mornings, but we also have throughout the week these things called RPC groups. What are RPC groups? They're groups of people from, from Ridgepoint Church and from the community. If you're in a group and you have a neighbor that says, I see all these cars at your house every Monday night or every Thursday night, what is it that's going on? And they want to be a part of that. Man, we love, we celebrate the idea that the community wants to be involved in an RPC group. So groups of individuals that meet together throughout the week, often eating, and then studying God's word together. Why do we do that? This is the mission of what we do as a church. We believe that coming together on Sunday mornings is really important, it's really valuable, it is essential to our mission. But just as important is us gathering together on, on, on a night during the week to really get together, sitting in circles, and try to grow and have those conversations face-to-face with other people. That's really, really valuable. So why do we do it? Because we believe this is our calling as a church. This is how we do discipleship. And if you're going to be part of that, if you want to grow according to the, kind of the system we have in place, it happens through Sunday morning, and it also happens through groups, and that's for every one of us. So today I want to do a little bit different. We're going to ask this question. The five points in this are, okay, what happens at group? What do you do at group? And I'm not going to share the story myself. In fact, I'm going to ask a couple of people that I've been doing life with over the course of the last couple of years to join me. So Jeff and James, if you would go ahead and come on up here. Uh, Jeff and Jeff Banfield and, and, and James, James Brown here. I feel good. Uh, they're going to come up here and, and they're going to share their story. Here's the neat thing. Sometimes we ask people to come up because we have a... a uh, kind of a message series we're going through and we're talking through this idea and, and as we talk through this we say this person has a valuable story or testimony let's have them come up, come up and share but in the last couple of weeks 
both these guys come and say, hey, man, I really have something I want to share about group. I have something that God has laid on my heart. And, and so both of them came to me at different times saying, hey, I got something I want to share. And I said, let's utilize this message because what they want to share goes exactly along with two of the points we have this morning. Before we get there, flip back to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. In one verse, we're going to see the four main reasons we get together for groups. In Acts 2, 42, we see the mission of the church and what they're trying to accomplish. Acts 2.42, it says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So they did four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. The four things they gathered together to do. The first four lines we're going to get to talk about these four topics. Number one is that we, when we get together, when groups get together, we study God's word together. That's our calling as groups. The first and most vital thing that we do is we study God's word together. Now, that can happen in, in a variety of different ways. We can study God's Word in a variety of different ways. We gather together on Sunday morning, and I love Sunday morning. I love getting up to teach and to talk through what God's Word says, and I think this is a, a valuable place for this to be. But here's what happens. See, I can look out. I can see people's reaction. And at some point, most people are engaged and, and focused, but at some point, it's a long message, and people focus on different things, and people pull out their phones. They're kind of doing this on the side, and then some people might kind of start falling asleep. Like, it's easy to hide behind the crowd. In a group, that isn't a possibility. In a group, when there's 10 of you sitting in a circle looking at each other, it's harder to hide. And so we think that Sunday morning is really valuable, but also group is really valuable. We can also study God's Word individually. In fact, that's something we should do. Both those things we should do. We should gather together corporately. We should study God's Word individually. But if I were to walk outside, or if you were to walk outside of the church this morning, you're the first one out, and just as you walk out, there's a car accident out on, on Wrecker Highway. And from your perspective, you're the only witness to the accident. And so please come, they say, we need to see, we need to have a report of what happened. And you say, okay, here's what I saw happen. And you could give a pretty accurate report of what you saw, but you're one person from one perspective. Now, if you and eight of your friends come out from different buildings on Wrecker Highway, both in the same general vicinity, and you see the same accident. And now the nine of you together are able to give a report of what happened. You have more eyewitnesses. And you have better perspectives on what took place. When I study God's word individually, it's powerful. But I'm reading this when I read it from one perspective. From the perspective I have currently in that situation in my life. But when I gather together with my group and we're studying God's word together. I'm hearing from their perspective. I'm hearing, okay, what did, when you guys read this or when you guys watched this video... What did you guys say? And it's amazing the illumination that happens when we study God's word together. Now, I know gathering together in that environment can be a little bit intimidating. Especially if you're new to church. You're like, it's enough for me to walk through doors where there's a bunch of people. Now you're asking me to knock on someone's door that, may, uh, that I might or might not know. And I'm going to go into their house. I don't know anyone. And that could be an even more intimidating situation. So I've heard that a lot throughout the years, especially recently. And so I was talking to James about that. James said, well, that's kind of my story. I want to share what, what my story is. So James, would you go ahead and kind of share your testimony about what happened? Uh, yeah, about uh, three years ago, um, me and my wife decided that we were going to adopt. We were going to go through the adoption process. And we went to one of the meetings, and they told us some of the stipulations for adoption was uh, you had to be involved in a faith-based church, whether Catholic, Christian, whatever, you, whatever it was. They just wanted to make sure you were going to raise the kid in a you know godly environment so okay we've, we've been to ridgepoint every now and then so we start we start coming to ridgepoint and uh we had to have a letter from the pastor 
saying we attend church more than just Christmas and Easter kind of deal. And uh, so I, I talked back then, it was Pastor Tim. I was talking to Tim about it, about writing the letter. He goes, yeah, no problem, absolutely. Well, he called me back about two hours later. He goes, why don't y'all join our family group? I haven't been coming to Ridge Point for about three weeks at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was actually mine and my wife's anniversary. That night we were planning on going out to dinner, all that stuff. I said, all right, we'll be there. You know, not having a clue what I was getting myself into. Um, both of us were nervous. She was nervous. I was nervous going to somebody's house. But, I mean, they invited us in with open arms. And it was it was one of the best moves I think I could have made for personally my family, my relationship with my wife. Um just to do life with other people. Um, there were situations we went through in the adoption process that you don't want to tell your family family about it. You don't want to get people's hopes up, but you definitely want someone to be praying for you about it. And that's kind of that, that was kind of the core of the family group. You know, It helped us get through a moment in our life where we really needed people that wasn't really you know, our family. We didn't want to get people's hopes up and stuff like that. So we were able to talk it through with our family group and pray about it and stuff like that. Mm. But... Um, and we get to eat. You get to, that's the best meal of the week. <laughs> like, if anybody's like me, I love to eat. That's the best meal of the week is family group, for sure. It's powerful. Like, that's a requirement. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's the requirement for our group. If you <clears throat> want to join our group, do you, do you yeah. cook is yeah, the first question. What, what can you cook? <laughs> yeah, what do you cook? That's right. That's right. Um, <clears throat> so it can be a little bit intimidating to walk into someone's house, especially not having a, a church background or a Bible background. Absolutely. And, yeah, pretty quickly you guys adapted and, and it felt comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't grow up in a church going to church at all um but i never felt I, you know we were in group with people who's been going to church their whole lives jeff for one you know, for instance he's been a deacon and everything whatever else at any other churches and uh just the knowledge just to hear the knowledge that he has of the bible and stuff like that stuff that i still to this day am learning something new every day you know mm. but just to see the influence from that is awesome sure powerful there's nothing there's nothing to be scared of at all, there, I mean, there's and and you hear a lot of the younger guys. Well, I'm not too sure about it. I'm not too sure. There's nothing. It, it's it, you're fine. It's it's awesome. It's it's cool. You're sitting on somebody's couch. You watch a movie. You know, you talk about it. Mm-hmm. Some weeks you want to talk more than other weeks if you don't want to talk at all. You know, it's definitely. It, it definitely takes some time to warm up to it. But now, if we miss a Sunday at church, we don't miss family group. I mean, that's that's just kind of you don't miss family group. Right. Once once you get plugged in, you and JJ said you knock on someone's door to go in. You only knock for like the first month. I don't. I don't even <laughs> knock anymore. I just walk right in and make myself Absolutely. at home. Absolutely. Uh, so we gather together. We study God's word together. The second thing we do, and thank you for sharing, Jane. The second thing we do is we we do life together. What do I mean by do life? It's just like that that group of individuals on the trip. I mean, for for one week, for twenty four hours a day, we were just kind of in a forced community where we're doing life together on a real real basis. Like like we're doing that every moment of that day. Uh, family group's not quite that intense, but you start to do life together. You start to celebrate victories, uh, births, and adoptions, and you also go through some of those challenging times. And so when we were talking this past Monday, Jeff said, man, I really have, his story over the last couple months has been powerful, what God's been doing, and how God's used group to bring him through that. And Jeff said, man, I, I want a story. I got a story I want to share. And so we kind of put it on hold, so let's talk about that, and then later on this week, we kind of finalize it. So Jeff, go ahead and share kind of what God's been doing in your life. I told JJ I was really hoping this was going to be on tape, but... Um, on March 23rd of this year I had a stroke Um, I was at work it was Monday morning at about 8.30 I I was working I had a patient there that was wonderful and uh, I was typing and I noticed my hand wasn't working very well and uh, 
I stood up, and when I sat down, I fell down on the, on the floor, and I couldn't get up. And, uh, and, and it was really odd because I couldn't talk. I couldn't move my arm. And, but I knew exactly what was going on. I've been a physical therapist for 38 years. And uh, so they took me to Winter Haven Hospital. It took probably five, 10 minutes. It was really fast. I had a CT scan. I get out of the CT, CT scan. And uh, I mean, um, Denise is there. Beth is there. Uh, Danielle's there. Michael's there. Jimmy's there. Oh, Chris Neff is there. It was like six people from Ridgepoint were there already. And, and I was saying earlier, I'm not a big social media person, but I mean, come on. It was <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> They're all standing around the, 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 um, um, my, my stretcher, and uh, Michael's standing there not talking a lot, which is unusual. <laughs> for Michael and they did something on me called a TPA if you can get people to the hospital quick enough um, who've had a stroke they, you can do something called a TPA which will largely reverse the brain damage that's caused by the stroke and thank God they did that on me and my speech started getting better and I started being able to move my arm a little bit so anyway long story um, they took me to St. Joseph's. I had something called a carotid endarterectomy, which what I call, I call it the rotor-rooter job of the, uh, the, and that cleans it out. That was what caused my stroke. And I had been totally fine before that. My other carotid, carotid artery is fine. But anyway, when I was there, I was pretty sure that this wasn't going to go well because in all my years, I'd never seen anybody that had uh, done well after that procedure and uh, we were concerned that you know and I had already signed all the stuff that if you have to put put in a feed, feeding tube or anything like that I'm not doing that um, but the thing that I knew is that you know I was going to have or Connie would have the support of our family crew because I, they had been there I knew it because they'd already been there and uh, that was huge I went back to work two weeks after the stroke, but not a very good idea. And uh, what uh, we we meet on Monday nights, and uh, I would go to group, and one of the side effects is just total exhaustion. I would get to group. I was living on the little five-hour energy thing just to get through the day. I'd get to group, and I was Bugs Bunny. I mean, I could not. I mean, I could not talk because with fatigue, my speech would get worse. And it just meant so much to me. I would go there. You know, and they would just, they were like, we don't care if it takes all night, you know, say what you got to say. So it was pretty awesome. And one thing in closing, one thing that uh, meant a great deal to me, I remember two weeks after I had my stroke, I saw Beth here, and I uh, and I thanked her, and she and, and I said, you know, I, I really appreciate how you you guys have supported Connie and I through this. And Beth looked at me, and she said, "That's what families do." 
powerful. Yeah. Thank you. I know it's emotional to share that all, but thank you guys for sharing that. Thank both of them for joining me, guys. Good. <clears throat> you know, we, we do life together, and that means you celebrate the, the high moments. Uh, and then when you're going through times of grief, we've had a chance since we've had a group together to celebrate a couple of adoptions, and in the midst of that, to celebrate some, some devastating times, some hard times as people had lost in their, in their family and, and their stuff they're going through personally. And, and God puts the right people at the right spots at just the right time in our lives. And, and it's really valuable. So when we have family group, we, we gather together, study God's word together, we do life together, and we learn how to love. Uh, really to love. We put down those walls of, of vulnerability and say we want to let people in, and we want to pour into people that are around us to really, 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 really do life together. The third thing is this, and the first two are important. James already alluded to this one. This might be equal to the other two, but it says this. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to breaking of bread. Third thing we do is we eat together. On, on a weekly basis, we get together and we eat together. Now, I heard rumors in the past of some groups that said, well, life is really busy, so we don't get together to eat. Or maybe we have uh, you know, some small sides that we have at a family group. They need to repent of that. That is sin. <laughs> We gather together, and, and it's not even, listen, we like good food, don't get me wrong, but it's not even necessarily enjoying the good food, but it's about what happens when we sit down at a meal and we just start to talk. When families get away from that, when we start to get too busy and we stop having family meals together, we miss some essential time to have conversations. Well, the same thing happens at group. I can think of at least two occasions this past semester where we sat down as a family group with the absolute intent, let's have a meal together, and then we had a video series we were in, and we're going to go watch that video series, but let's have a meal together first. And we start having this engaging conversation that lasts for an hour and a half. And it's a spiritual conversation. We're talking about spiritual things. But at some point we say, let's scrap the video for tonight because what we're working on right here is more essential. That happens often when we take the time out of our schedule just to say, let's eat a meal together and just talk. If we're going to build up that family mentality in our lives, we eat together. It's just what families do. The fourth thing. said so they did those three things. And it said the last part. They devote themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayers. We pray for each other. And I'm not just talking about glossing over, praying for each other, saying, oh yeah, I'll pray for you, and then we forget about it. I'm talking about the way we do it is every week. We take prayer requests and we pray for those things. Maybe different groups do that differently. But then throughout the week, it's saying, hey, I want to let you know, I was praying for this. How did, how did this situation work out? How did this situation resolve itself? Last week, we kind of took a break for the summer, but we had a men's Bible study. It was meeting, and some of the guys were in that Bible study, and I, I told them my mom's having surgery. And this week, when my mom was supposed to have surgery, I got a text early that morning. Hey, praying for your mom. Let me know how it goes. Praying for each other is, is valuable. It's key. As we do those things, we see that in Acts chapter 2, 42, those four things are happening. The response to that, let's read from 43 through verse 46. It says, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all these things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. But then verse 47, it says this, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The fifth thing that happened, and this is the early church, and God was doing a supernatural work. But we see the church being multiplied. 
this is a, a supernatural time. It's a special time in the church as the church is being founded. But our prayer as a church is that we multiply together. Listen, it is, it is our, we're, we're praying these audacious prayers as a church. You're going to hear next week, I think. I don't know exactly what the people from the Mr. are going to report. But while we're in Honduras, we heard about a, an audacious prayer that a man in Honduras prayed. And he, it's reminded us as a team, we need to pray audacious prayers. And so I've been praying some audacious prayers as a church. And I want to see some big things happen. But I know that for those things to be fulfilled, it requires each one of us as individuals within the church, but partakers of the gospel that God has given to us, to say, I am now fully invested in what is happening, and I want to see this happen in our church. I want to see God adding daily, day by day, those people that are being saved and giving their lives to Jesus, because that's what we are about as a church. We want to be multiplied together. That's part of the reason why, and it was hard because our group, for the last couple of years, we got really close, and we said, man, I'd love to stay together forever. We also have a unique opportunity right now to multiply that to be able to do that because that's what our mission is as a church to reach out to people who are neighbors who are friends who are co-workers say hey if you won't go to church do you want to come over to my house on Monday night we're going to have dinner we're going to talk through some of this stuff God was multiplying the church because the church was embracing the mission I know there are some things that still hold us back as, as we look at this there are some things that hold us back because we're afraid I know I should be involved in the community but that kind of intimidates me Jesus modeled community for us. Like he set the page for what we're supposed to do. And one of the things holding us back, I think for a lot of people, I've not heard anybody actually verbalize this, but I think I've seen the people's eyes. One thing that holds people back is, well, I want to join group, but I'm a little crazy. I'm a little afraid there's going to be a crazy person in my group. Like I'm kind of afraid to get involved because there's a potential that there's going to be a crazy person in my group. And so there's, there's this, this, this balance that's there. There's this, this tension that's there saying, well, I want to join group, but I'm afraid of the crazy person. Let me alleviate that tension right now because I can guarantee you there's going to be a crazy person in your group. And there's a better than 50% chance it might be you. It's it's a possibility. But here's the thing. Jesus modeled community for us by giving his life for people that were unworthy. Flip over to Romans chapter 5 real quick. We're going to finish up with this. The next book of the Bible, Romans chapter 5, it says this verses 7 and 8. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. So if a person was good if they're righteous, maybe someone would give their life for them. But God shows his love towards us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. The message of the gospel is as simple as that. Though we're unworthy, though we don't deserve it, Christ gave his life in order that we can have a relationship with the Father. That's the message of the gospel. It's a message of what we do as a church, is that Jesus is Christ. That he is the purpose behind what we do. And in doing that, in providing the message of the gospel, he also gives us an example that we're supposed to be doing community with other people. And yes, when we do community with other people, does that mean it's all rosy and everything is always good? No, it means sometimes people's lives are messy. Sometimes we get involved in stuff. We're like, I don't even know the answer to this. My friend's struggling, and I don't know what to do here. And I know by me getting involved, their life's a mess. And if I get involved in their mess, I'm going to get messy. That's right. That's what we're supposed to do. Because Jesus modeled community for us in giving his life for people that were unworthy. He who had the perfect sinless life becomes sin for us. 
He who is not messy gets into the mess of, of our junk life and says, I'm going to die to alleviate that burden and to set you free. And in doing so, he models what community is about for us, why we exist as a church. And so in two weeks, we launch out on this new study in our church called Transform. It's going to be something we do. We don't always do this, but in the fall, we typically do this, uh, where we combine our group study with what we're talking about in church on Sunday morning. And so in two weeks, we started a new study in church called Transformed. And we also have some videos that produced by, by a company that are put together that go through the Transform study. Now, you, if you're in groups, I think most of the groups are going to be doing this. We talk about it on Sunday morning. Then in groups, you'll watch the video. The neat thing to go along with it, and this isn't requirement, but we suggest that you do this, is we have the message on Sunday morning. We have the groups. We'll be watching the videos in your groups on whatever night of the week that you meet. But there's also a journal that goes along with it, a transformed journal. And this journal is really, it's high quality, kind of has a, a fake leather cover, but it's really high quality. They do a lot, there's a lot of great information in there. There's actually fill in the blanks like we did this morning for all the, the, the video curriculum that's there. Uh, there's some questions that go along with group. There's a spot that if you want to take notes on Sunday morning, you bring this along on Sunday morning, take notes, the message will go along with the videos during the week. And there's also throughout this, there's devotionals for every day for the seven-week study. And so the group that put this study together makes these available. Uh, we're selling them. We're not making any money off of it, but it's, it's $20 for one. Or if, if you're a couple, if you want to go together, there's two for $35. Uh, I'd suggest this because of the devotional aspect and writing notes and stuff. If you want to do that, I think it's helpful for me. But if you want to do it together, that's fine. Or if you want to do one individually, two for $35. If you're not a couple, if you're just kind of friends, you're like, I'm not, I'm not married right now. I don't have another person with me. But if you want to join with some friends and say, we'll go together to, to be able to do, get the two for 35 feel free to do that. Uh, you can do that in the kiosk back in the back. I'll talk in just a second about what it means, to, how we join a group and what that looks like. But our goal as we go through life is to build up community. Community happens organically. Uh, that just as we start to do life together, my wife and I, our family moved here about six years ago. When we first came here, we started to organically get to know people and get to meet people. And there's some people who right away become friends with. And sometimes community happens when we're in four situations. We say, okay, you're going to be put in a family group and you're going to meet with them. And it's going to be awkward at first. But the thing that happens over time is sometimes that forced community that, that happened because we're put into a group becomes our organic community. And as we pour ourselves out into those relationships... And as we open ourselves up to those relationships, God does something supernatural, not just in their life, but in our life. Because I'm knocking down a wall. I'm allowing myself to be vulnerable. And I'm allowing myself to do life with other people, which is the way God intended it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made on, on our behalf. And we thank you that by doing that, he gave us the ability to be free in him. But it's because of him that we can have a relationship with you. But God, beyond that, that is very much true in this core message of the gospel. Beyond that, he also modeled what it means for us to invest in the lives of people around us. Uh, God, I pray as we take this step as a church, getting ready for our, our fall campaign as a church, that we take this idea seriously. I believe, God, your desire is to transform our church, to build our church up and do incredible things. But God, it happens as we take those steps as individuals to be part of the mission. God, give us vision of what that looks like in our lives. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.